oh shit, it's the coin toss. Two sides of a coin. One surprise topic off the rip. John, do you actually have the coin? John, you're back, by the way. Welcome. I'm back. Do, do you have the coin? I do not have a coin. Fuck. Well, I certainly <laughs> I certainly don't either. Trey heads or tails. Uh, give me heads. John, what do you think? What should it be? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was uh I'm pretty sure it was heads. Oh, nice. All right. All right, yeah, Trey. Heads then. never heads never fails. Trey Trey do you, <laughs> Trey, do you want the, the ball? ball? All right. Yeah. All right. Uh so I'm getting a little irritated. Le'Veon Bell has been talking some shit, and we're fantasy football managers. We've been talking some shit. We have our grievances with Le'Veon. I, I, I don't know, man. Is is Le'Veon worth rostering right now? Uh, no. No, he's absolutely not worth rostering. Uh, if you haven't cut him already, get rid of him. Uh, is he? He's definitely not coming back to Kansas City after what he said, and I don't think anybody else is going to pick him up. So, yeah. That ship has sailed. Hope you're not still holding the bag. Well, Tarek, I know it's coming back to you, man, but he's rostered in a lot of leagues right now. Are you going to defend any of these guys? Yeah, I mean, I think that Le'Veon Bell is a guy that you can't really cut if you are holding the bag, like Trey said. Like, if he ends up signing in Miami or in Atlanta or in one of these spots where there's some path to volume, you're going to wish you didn't cut him. I definitely empathize with what Trey is saying here. Like, nobody wants Le'Veon Bell on their team, but I don't think you can cut him. No, that's good. John, uh, third side of this coin here. Uh, I don't have one, man, but I, I really have missed you. Welcome back, buddy. I, I don't know if I said that already. I'm going to say it again. I missed you. Uh, I missed y'all and you too. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for not deciding that I was not worthy to return. <laughs> oh, always welcome back here. But Tarek, that was one of those arguments where you you just had to say a bunch of shit you didn't believe, right? I just had to hedge. No, no, I actually do think that Le'Veon Bell is worth rostering at the end of your 30-man roster in Dynasty, you know? I mean, like, are you going to have Le'Veon Bell or Auden Tate? Like, give me Le'Veon Bell, you know? I do think it's funny seeing him in the, like, the trade block, though. You're like, <laughs> I'll bet you do want to trade Yeah, him. Le'Veon Bell lives on the sleeper trade block <laughs> in everybody's league. That's <laughs> where he needs to stay, too. Okay. Welcome into the Long Game Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Tarek. Angry T. Bintria. I'm here. Mitch is here. Trey's here. But whatever. John's here. John's yes. back. As we referenced yes. in the coin toss, we're really happy to have our glue guy, John Elmer Alexander, back in town. John, what's going on? And I, I don't think I, you, you call me the glue guy. I don't think most people understand why. It's because uh, when I was in kindergarten, I was the kid who ate all of the glue. So I thank you for bringing that up and so that our audience can understand that reference. I'm happy to be back. Uh, I got to be a fan for the last two weeks and I really enjoyed it. Uh, I got to listen to y'all drone on about like uh, Hayden Hurst and. <laughs> uh, uh, Russell Gage and stuff. It was really great. Uh, I, I really am happy to be back, though. Um, and you guys put on a great show. Um, Sorry if I unlock some childhood trauma about your paste eating days, John. <laughs> but 
Trey, how you doing, man? Well, I know when John says uh, back when uh, he was in kindergarten, he means when his uh, his oldest was in kindergarten. So uh, literally, <laughs> literally a month ago, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Tarek, man, uh, you've been taking some uh, Duolingo Spanish lessons, man. Well done. Pulling from uh, my uh, three or four days in Mexico City and just rolling with it. And I guess you know we're all we're all from Texas, so we kind of know a little bit of Spanish by osmosis, right? Jesus, dude, I thought you were actually like quoting our uh, French class days. So I (laughs) (laughs) bitch thought I was talking French. (laughs) I forgot my book every every day, man. A tough sledding back then. But uh, wait, wait, bitch, you you seriously can't tell the difference between French and Spanish? No, I can, Trey. Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I was worried there for a minute. Just try to do a throwback. I think it's worth telling a quick story from our French days uh, because Mitch wanted to say in French that he wanted a hot dog. And in French, hot dog is hot dog. And Mitch said, show chien. It's a hot dog. Show chien, which is literally a hot dog, like a dog on a hot day. Listen, man, I was standing up in front of the class and I was proud of it and I still am. That was a hot dog. Hot diggity, iggity dog. <laughs> Me and the homies in the back of the classroom just losing our shit. Oh, man. El, el Pedro Caliente. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Miss Monson at McNeil High School. All right. Going off the rails from the beginning. We said we weren't going to do this, guys. All right. Uh, today, we are continuing our journey across the NFL to talk about every dynasty relevant player in the league. Last week, we talked about the NFC South. So as you can imagine, we are crossing conferences, talking about the AFC South. And in this first half, we're going to start off with the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. So we have not talked about this on this show. Here we are at episode 11, and we're finally deciding to talk about it. Um, It is an unpleasant situation, and that is the Deshaun Watson situation. So I just want to say from the outset that my politics are to believe women rather than defer wholly to the justice system, which is inherently patriarchal. So I believe there was wrongdoing, and I hope and expect that he will face consequences. We've seen the NFL handle and usually mishandle these kinds of situations before. But Trey, do you have actionable advice uh, for dynasty managers in terms of how they should be evaluating this situation? Uh, Because we kind of have to talk about that as a dynasty. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, well put, Tarek. I couldn't agree more. And uh to answer your question, it's it's definitely a tough situation to project right now just because uh, we don't know what's going to happen. I think it's safe to assume that he will miss time due to suspension. So kind of what I'm uh, the way I'm approaching it as a dynasty manager is just assuming that he is going to be suspended for all of this year and maybe we'll see him come back sometime down the road. But who knows? Uh, so if you are a dynasty manager who has Watson on your roster, I think that you are stuck holding in this situation. And if you don't have him on your roster, I do not recommend uh, going out and trying to trade for him and get value there just because uh, I wouldn't recommend it because he may never come back. So uh, that's that's my thoughts. Yeah, Mitch, you got a thought? Yeah, I do. It's very similar to what Stray's saying here. So it's it's short and sweet. If I don't have Watson, I'm not trying to get into the Watson business. And I think that applies to most dynasty managers. Most dynasty managers don't have him. But there are those scenarios where you want to try and buy extremely low. But the Watson managers are not interested in making those deals, just like Trey is saying. 
they're pretty much stuck holding him at this point. And at like I said, yeah, at this point you're it's you're stuck. If you don't have him, you're not going for him. If you do have him, you might as well hold him at this point. Yeah, and I think it's important to say that if you do have him and you want to get rid of him for as little or as much compensation as you can acquire, that's completely your prerogative, you know? So uh, it's kind of like one of those situations where this transcends um, dynasty values and you kind of have to make your own decision about what you're willing to do when it comes to Deshaun Watson. Yeah. Um, well put. Okay, so moving on from Deshaun Watson, there are two quarterbacks on the roster for the Houston Texans that we need to talk about. Um, the first one in our rankings is Davis Mills, who we have at consensus QB 40. Now, Mitch is the highest on him has him at consensus 29. Tyrod Taylor is the other guy that we think uh, is going to start week one, but he's kind of outside of our top 45, uh, which is how deep our ranks go at QB. So let's talk about Davis Mills first. Mitch, I'm going to ask you, because you're kind of the high man on him, what what is your uh, perspective on how this QB room is going to shake out over the next well, year? Well, yeah, and let's talk about the first pick the Texans made in the draft this year and that was on a quarterback that's very telling of the situation that we just spoke about that's the first guy they they took this guy is very likely to be on the field this year if not next year and the reason i have him exactly where i do is because he's going to have that opportunity so i don't have him super high in my opinion right i have him at 29 that's right in the range of Derek carr 27 kirk cousins 28 two guys that look like they might be about to lose their job. And then I have him in front of like Kellen Mond, Jordan Love, Teddy Bridgewater, Daniel Jones, guys that don't look like they have a steady hold on their job. So like, I don't look at him as like a guy that I'm thinking is like slam dunk dynasty, but I, I do have him up there in that, that 27, 28, 29 range. I think Mitch hit the nail on the head. They're definitely going to see what they've got in him, but uh, I don't necessarily think that uh, they've made any sort of long-term commitment to him, and I'm not sure that they will. Uh, it's a new coaching staff. They're going to see what they've got, and uh, maybe he's worth that, but he's probably not. I don't. I think I'm pretty down on the Texans' offense in general this, this season, uh, so it's going to be really hard for him to have any sort of success, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think the Texans are kind of uh, in a situation now where assuming that Watson's not there all year, they're going to have to see what they got in Mills uh, just to yeah. figure out if he is potentially the guy who could be the quarterback of the future. So he, I think what the way they're probably going to approach the situation is to start out the year with Tyrod Taylor uh, getting the uh, starter reps and uh, probably halfway through the year, they'll have to switch over to Mills and um, see what they have by, by the time the season wraps up and uh the thing, my thing with Mills from when we were back in doing rookie evaluations was his resume as a starter at Stanford was very short and he doesn't really have any upside in the running game. So uh, when Mitch mentioned a few of the other guys that he has behind him, I'd rather go for some of the upside there rather than uh, somebody who's essentially a, an unknown uh, based on his college production. Not the rushing upside, but there's at least untapped upside in the sense of like we literally just don't know what he's going to be but we can also project that he's probably going to get the opportunity so he's definitely worth rostering um let me just ask uh john really quick do you think tyrod taylor is somebody that could help your dynasty team uh probably not uh maybe early in the season first game or two but uh like i said houston's offense i expect to be pretty poor this season in general 
Uh, I would basically rather take a flyer on anybody else than Tyrod Taylor at this point. I think somebody's trying to buy Tyrod in a Superflex league, likely. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Mitch. Like in a Superflex, he probably should be rostered. All right, let's move on to the running backs. We have Philip Lindsay and David Johnson back-to-back in our consensus rankings at the ripe ranking of 47 and 48. So Trey and I are leaning David Johnson, whereas John and Mitch are leaning Lindsay. Trey, I will let you speak for me about why you'd prefer David Johnson of these two. So I think David Johnson's the best bet uh, for production. Uh, last year, he had 13.6 uh, fantasy points per game, which was the best of this group, which you know obviously isn't saying much. Uh, I do not think he is a value by any stretch. I think uh, just projecting out his finish he's probably going to fall out of the RB three range and that running back four range. Uh, and he's 29 years old, right? So he doesn't really have a lot left in the tank um, for dynasty purposes. I, I do think Philip Lindsay is going to uh, end up pretty close production wise. And yeah, he's 26 years old. So he's three years younger than David Johnson. So maybe Philip Lindsay should be a slot ahead in our ranks. But um, I mean, either way, there's not a whole lot of upside with either of these guys. Right. I think it's one of those situations for me where they're they're kind of both in the same range. But at least with David Johnson, you have some, um, you know, the, the team has some equity invested in David Johnson and, and, and not that much in Philip Lindsay. Uh, John or Mitch, either one of you guys want to give the case for Lindsay over David Johnson, even though Trey kind of kind of hinted at it. Do you really feel like they have that equity toward DJ? I mean, the, the past... at least in terms of a cap number, yes. Well, sure, but the past regime signed DJ and the current one signed Lindsay. So, yeah, that's a good point. So, I'd say that, like, Lindsay to me is the like, dude. I am not trying to bang the table for any of the these dudes, first of <laughs> all. Like, uh, like, specifically all of them. Like, I hate all of them, but like, if I'm gonna have to, to pick one, I'm at least gonna lean Lindsay. Like, DJ has already, like, exited the league in my opinion mark ingram is on his last leg here rex burkhead is here (laughs) like i guess like if i have to if i have to have one guy on this offense i or on this running back committee i'm taking Lindsay. that's my stance that's and that's fair because he's the youngest guy uh by far yeah yeah if i i just want to piggyback off of mitch real quick here and just say add one more thing if we think about who the coach new coach is coley where he's coming from baltimore uh you know, who's the only person in that that knows that system right now? Uh, and that's Mark Ingram. But I don't advocate for getting any of these guys. Like I, don't, I, like I said, I think the Houston Texans are going to try to lose every game this year. Uh, and they might run one of these guys into the ground and who knows which one it is. But I think I would lean towards the ones that this regime brought in like Mitch. So um, in terms of the wide receivers, Brandon Cooks is their wide receiver one, and he comes in at wide receiver 48 in our consensus rankings. Also wide receiver 48 and DLF ADP. So we're kind of, you know, right there along with the market as far as we understand it. And we've got another split here between myself and Mitch on the low end and John and Trey on the high end. Last year, he had over 1,100 receiving yards and six touchdowns, which is pretty much in league with what he's done for most of his very underrated career. But he has been the anti-Allen Robinson when it comes to QB play, going from Drew Brees to Tom Brady to, you know, Jared Goff and Sean McVay, and then now to Deshaun Watson. And that's about to take a serious hit. Trey, you have him up at wide receiver 39, which is the higher 
the highest of all of us. Is he a contender buy for you? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's safe to say that Cooks is in line for another thousand yard, six or seven Ooh. touchdown season. Wow! Just because that's what he does every single year. And if you look at the rest of that receiver room, he is by far the best receiver on that team. So you know this team has to throw the ball occasionally, and they they got to throw it to somebody, and it's going to be Brandon Cooks. So uh, just from volume, like it, the catches and the yardage are going to be there. He's only 27 years old. So this is, uh, I think this is just free value out there uh, at an ADP 48 right now in DLF. Um, But if you're a contender, this guy is a depth piece, right? Like this is not somebody who should be uh, in your starting roster as a contender. He's somebody who should be like your first receiver off the bench. Because if you're Mm -hmm. starting him every week, that means you're probably not actually a contender. True, true, true. Yeah, he will turn 28 in September, but still, I mean, just considering how long he's been producing in the NFL, that's so surprising that he's only going to be 28 years old. I, I'm just, he's always been, I've described him as, as the like ex-girlfriend that I keep going back to because the highs are so high, but the lows are so low and the relationship is toxic. I keep releasing him and I keep grabbing him back. Like he's just that, he he's that guy that I'm just enticed by. Because exactly what Trey says, no matter what, he, he continues to have like a thousand yard season, no matter what. And he he may not be there for you when you need him most, but like let's let's just realize the guy is like a, a wide receiver two, wide receiver three every single year, regardless of his offense. Yeah, he's been like a nice piece to a very good offense in the past, like the Pats, the the Rams, the Saints, whatever. Like Trey said, he's the only wide receiver on this team, unless you want to talk about Nico Collins. But like, yeah, everybody and else. I do want to talk about yeah, Nico I, Collins. I had a feeling you did, but like everybody else, like who's to talk about? Like this guy's gonna get numbers this year. Let's talk about Nico Collins a little bit. He is the next highest ranked guy in our consensus dynasty rankings. Uh, rookie out of Michigan, third round pick, big, fast, long arms. Really hamstrung by poor QB play at Michigan, um, but really good measurables. Trey, um, I know when we were talking rookies in the early episodes, uh, you were advocating for Nico Collins as a late second round uh, rookie pick. How are you feeling uh, now that we're in the summer here? Yeah, I mean, it's not a great landing spot and uh, the quarterback situation sucks, uh, especially for Nico Collins. So uh, if I had to bet, you know, it's probably not going to go well uh, for Collins this year. Like this looks like a situation where he's probably going to face plant. Uh, but there's a chance it doesn't, you know, and there's a chance that he becomes a reliable uh, end zone option. Somebody that they want to go to when they, you know, are trying to get a touchdown like those one or two times a game. They actually make it that far down the field. And uh, if he gets lucky with the touchdowns, if he puts up some decent yardage, then um you know, assuming the quarterback situation approves a year to a year from now, then uh, yeah, I think that the trajectory could look uh, quite good for him because he was one of the few alpha size receivers in this draft class with positive indicators to go with that. John, out of Randall Cobb, Kiki Kuti, Andre Roberts, Taewon Taylor, insert name. Is there anyone here that uh, you're interested in rostering? Every once in a while, Randall Cobb is uh, has a game here and there, 
PPR leagues, but no, not really. I'm not interested in any of those guys. These guys are tanking this year. They're going to try and lose every game. They're going to run the ball. I don't expect more than one receiver to be uh, relevant on this offense. Yeah, these are prime roster cloggers. I think especially Cobb and Kuti are probably rostered in every dynasty league, but get out if you can. Like if you can find an upside guy on the waiver wire or if you can trade them for a fourth, fifth round pick, I think you should do it. Roster cloggers, that's what they are. <laughs> Let's talk about the tight ends really quickly. The only tight end we have ranked in our consensus is rookie Brevin Jordan, but Jordan Akins and Kahale Waring are also there. Can we just say stash Brevin Jordan in your taxi squad or at the end of your bench if you have space and move on? Or is there anything you guys want to talk about with these guys? Well, speaking of roster clog, I mean, that's this tight end room right here. Uh, yeah. Jordan Akins over the last two years had four and a half fantasy points per game and five fantasy points per game. Uh, so that's not going to get any better uh, with uh, with Watson out of the picture. I actually really liked uh, Kahali Waring for a long time. I think I still might give him the edge uh, to Brevin Jordan if I was picking between the two, but there's other dart throw tight ends out there that I prefer than both these guys. I don't know, man. Brevin, Brevin Jordan can curl like 400 pounds with each bicep. So like right. if I'm going to take... He is the most athletic tight end in the history of athletic if testing. I can, if I can take a guy that can squat 5,000 pounds, I'm taking <laughs> Brevin Jordan every single fucking day here. No, none of these guys are worth anything. Get out of this tight end room. Olympian athlete Brevin Jordan. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's move on to the next team in this division, and that is the Jacksonville Kitty Cats at quarterback. Touchdown Jesus. Trevor Lawrence is QB8 in our consensus, and we've all got him between seven and nine. Right now, he's dealing with a bit of a hamstring injury. Schottenheimer not committing to Trevor Lawrence being the starter yet. (laughs) Uh, Nonsense, right? Some bullfoot, dude. <laughs> He's starting yeah. day one, or Urban's fired on day one. That's that's where that that's where that's going. The fantasy of the owner coming from the from the owner's box to fire the head coach on the field. I, I <laughs> like I'm living for that moment. Yeah, Sh- Shad Khan will will not uh, take kindly to that. Trey, um, I mean, we obviously when we talk about these rookies, we've already kind of talked extensively about them on this pod, but. Um, what do you think uh, we can reasonably expect from Trevor Lawrence in his rookie year? I think he's going to give reliable quarterback two production as a rookie. Uh, I, I just, we don't know what uh, the Urban Meyer offense is going to look like yet at the next level, but the pieces that he has, like those, that receiver room, like the weapons he's got at running back, like, uh, you know, what he can create for himself on the ground with his legs. Like, I definitely think he's going to be a playmaker he's going to be at least league average for fantasy production. And um, obviously we just expect his career to do nothing but go upwards from there. So uh, yeah, I haven't been like the 15 to 20 range uh, as a rookie with obviously for dynasty, tons of room to improve from there. John, are you rostering Gardner Minshew in Superflex? Uh, is it, is it likely that he gets traded? I think so. Um, I think he could go somewhere if there's an injury uh, he could step in and be a reliable starter this year. So yeah, I think he's, I would definitely roster him in Superflex. I'm not going to try and spend any draft capital on him, but uh, he's he's a reliable starter and he should be rostered in Superflex. Yeah, John, you can't you guys can't see the video, but John is rocking the highlighter blue tank today, so he's got a very Gardner Minshew vibe. So that checks out. I was thinking about getting the mullet too. Like he he's really inspired me. 
All right. So at the running back position, Travis Etienne is running back 20 in our consensus, running back 19 in DLF. Like when I saw him at running back 20 in our consensus, I was like, man, I bet we're going to be very different from kind of the market. But he's going at 19 on DLF ADP right now. We've discussed him on other episodes. James Robinson is running back 28 for us. And Mitch has them really close together. So Mitch, you got Etienne at running back 26. That's the first round pick. And then J-Rob undrafted at 28. So do you see this as a full running back by committee or? The 10th round pick. Look, man, yeah, I, I do see it as a uh, a full-blown RB, BC here. Like, and I, I see it that way because it's going to be a 17-game season and an 18-game season next year. And James Robinson's 22 years old right now. Like, these are two young running backs. And at least Robinson has shown that he can do it. And, like, I've said my piece on ETN. I do think that this is going to be good for both of them. Like, I do think a committee would be very good for both of them, using them, hopefully, in the correct situations for each of them. Um, Hyde, no, I don't give a fuck about this guy. But I do think if, like, one of these guys get gets hurt, then Hyde would actually have his own standalone value. Trey, do you have thoughts on uh, this? Yeah, I mean, I... No surprise here. I couldn't disagree more. Uh, but I mean, Travis Etienne right now, uh, we don't know how they're going to use him in this offense, but it looks like he's going to fill this slasher role. So uh, he's going to get a ton of passers. He's going to, excuse me, he's going to catch a ton of passes. Uh, he's going to get a ton of work out of the backfield. Uh, they didn't draft him in the first round for him to to sit on the sidelines. So I think he's going to get the bulk of the work. I project him to finish about running back 20 which puts him in that Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders range for me for 2021. Uh, and for Dynasty, he's my running back 14, obviously, because you know coming as a rookie, um, there's tons of room for him to improve. Uh, James Robinson definitely could still have a role, though. Uh, so I, I don't yeah. think we can totally count him out uh, because of how they use that slash and their main running back in the Urban Meyer system, at least what we've seen in college before. So um you know, he, he wasn't the most efficient guy last year. He just benefited from a ton, a ton of volume, uh, which obviously is gone now. Uh, so I view him more as a high-end cuff for this year. Okay. Uh, John, so there's also Carlos Hyde there. Mitch referenced him. Former Buckeye under Urban Meyer. Are you worried about him taking any work given the coach speak that we got from Urban Meyer right after the draft about him being involved on early downs? Not at all. I don't believe a word Urban Meyer says. So uh, that guy's full of shit. Just in general, Urban Meyer is full of shit. I want to get that on the record. <laughs> two, two carries per game for Hyde, Max. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I I think he belongs on waiver wires, uh, personally. Um, okay, let's move on to the wide receivers. Chark is wide receiver 32 in our consensus, and that's DJ Chark, and LaVisca Chenault is wide receiver 35. But John... You are the whole reason that Chark is up there above Visca because you have DJ Chark at wide receiver 21. Mm -hmm. Dude, I mean, speaking of Urban Meyer mm -hmm. and what, how full of shit he is, didn't you hear that DJ Chark plays like a little boy? <laughs> he is small. He's uh, 6'3 and 200 pounds. So he is, he does run small for a wide receiver. That's true. But look, here's where I'm at with this. Um, I think the market. Uh, they're not sure what to do. DJ Shark for DLF is at 32. LaVisca Chanel is 34. And the reason they're so close is because we don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like Trey said, we don't know about that offense. But I know. Uh, I know that DJ Shark is a much better wide receiver than LaVisca Chanel. So that's why I've got him as 21-49 in my rankings. 
who do I want? Do I want the 6'3 wide receiver who could bulk up uh, and be that alpha guy in this offense who's going to be connected with Trevor Lawrence for who knows how long? Or do I want the 6'1 slot receiver who uh, is never going to be able to grow those extra two inches? So I'm positive that DJ Chark is the better wide receiver of the two. And that's why I have them so separated in my rankings. And the reason they're so close for DLF is because most people don't don't know. But if you sit there and you think about it a little bit, it's pretty clear DJ Chark is the alpha of the two of these guys. Man, Visca, Visca doesn't need to grow two more inches because he's already got 30 pounds on Chark. So uh, he, he's going to get his work, uh, you know, just creating yards for himself after the catch. Uh, he's a super fun player, and I'm, I'm totally uh, bought in on the hype on, uh, on Visca. I think he's got a clear path to uh, break out with the uh, the new quarterback, the new coaching staff in town. So he's only 22, and we we kind of know what we have in Chark already. And I'm not sure that Chark ever takes that next step above the wide receiver two, wide receiver three range. And I think Visca's got that high end uh, wide receiver one upside. So that's why I'm going for Visca. Chark is only 24, and he's just shown nothing but really good upside, especially though. And this is where I get excited, especially at tracking deep balls and one-on-ones with corners in the end zone. Like, that's where Chark excels. And I see, like, Lawrence, like, looking to him in those situations. I got Visca at 31, Chark at 37. They're both exciting prospects. I, I'm excited to have either one of my squad, personally. I mean, we essentially had eight games in 2019 of Chark being a monster. Outside of that, like the second half of 2019, his rookie year in 2018, and the 2020 season, DJ Chark has kind of been nothing but a disappointment. Now, I, I definitely see what you guys are saying about him as a prospect. He's got speed. He's kind of he, He's got like the movement ability, a little bit of separation that you don't see from a guy like Visca. Visca's really great after the catch, which is you know, something that Urban Meyer really likes to use in his offenses. But I think the thing that's tempering my expectations for DJ Chark is the signing of Marvin Jones, who's coming in on a two-year deal at 31 years old, because all of the things that DJ Chark excels at, Marvin Jones has been doing in the league for a long time, very successfully. So that is what I'm worried about. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fucking annoying. Exactly. Like, it's just annoying for everybody else involved here because it's going to take away touchdowns from the guys that you have put a lot of investment into. This is the kind of signing that pisses off dynasty managers. Now, that begs the question, like, do we want to invest in him? And it's like, again, maybe if you are contender with a need at that position right at that wide receiver four. him being marvin jones yes right? him being marvin jones but like he's one of those just niche valued players where like I, I i don't even know where i have him valued because he's so specific to that yeah i do i do think he does present some good upside uh for a contender uh as a depth piece right because if there was an injury to either of these guys ahead of him then he would uh be looking at some great volume uh but Assuming they're all healthy uh, going into the season, I'm. I mean, this definitely could turn into just a three-headed monster. They could all end up stuck in that 800 to 1,000 yard range uh, on the mm-hmm. year, which means then where does that put us long term? And long term, I think I'd rather still go with the guy who's younger and has more upside than uh, the known commodities at that point. In that situation, Trey, I'm with you. I'm all about Visca in that situation. I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think DJ Chark is going to rise above the rest, but 
uh, if they are sitting a three-headed monster, then yeah, give me LaVisca as well. Right. I mean, yeah. And if and if the market more generally believes that Marvin Jones hurts DJ Chark and you are a believer in DJ Chark's talent, then, you know, what, what that says is maybe you should be looking into buying DJ Chark. All right. There's also Colin Johnson, the second-year man out of Texas. I am a UT guy, so I like Colin Johnson's um, length and his contested catch ability, but I do think Marvin Jones signing really tanks his ability to be the other guy on the outside uh, of with DJ Chark. So he's a guy that you can stash, um, but I wouldn't be expecting anything for the next one or two years. And by that time, you know, you don't want to bet on a fourth year guy. Roster club. Well, hey, before we move on, let's throw out Jalen Camp as a nice uh, sleeper uh, dart throw type Roster guy at the club. receiver position. No, man, he's a a, a six-round rookie pick this year. That's somebody with a lot of athleticism who could, you know, take a step a year or two from now. All right, uh, let's move on to the tight ends, another group that we're probably going to gloss over pretty fast because their depth chart is as follows. Chris Manhurts, blocking tight end. James O'Shaughnessy, blocking tight end. Luke Farrell, fifth-round rookie pick out of Ohio State, also a blocking tight end. And then Tim Tebow. I don't want any of them. What about you guys? I don't have anything to say about any of those guys because they're all worthless, but I have seen a lot of rumors about Zach Ertz to the Jaguars, and I really like that landing spot, actually. I yeah, think be fun. Zach Ertz would uh, get a little rise in my rankings if he ended up with the, with Jacksonville there. I don't know. I guess, like, so Tebow is annoying because, like, having him on your team is just inherently annoying, but he does carry value, and if you did pick him up, like, if you were one of the uh, big winners, and I'm doing the big quote fingers in the background here, if you're one of the big winners of him in the uh, free agent acquisition budget, like, good, but I hope you get rid of him because, like, his value I, I don't think is going to uh, hold much, much longer than uh, its current value. The dude is literally not going to make it out of training camp, right, <laughs> dude, But But you know what? He has value right now. He does. Maybe, maybe. I mean, I think the the issue is is that Chris Manhurts uh, has never had more than six catches in a season in his career, and he's 29. And Luke Farrell, uh, while he does have some great athletic scores, he's got the RAS of uh, 8.6, which is similar to uh, guys that we like, like Hunter Long and Tommy Trimble. Uh, He only caught 34 total passes in four years at Ohio State. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. These are blocking tight ends. So I guess we can't ignore Tebow. Uh, but yeah, hopefully they bring in, yeah, hopefully they bring in somebody real. Yeah. Zach, Zach Ertz to Jacksonville. Let's, let's start that petition on uh, change.org. <laughs> All right. That will close out our first half. Let's move into our whip. Mic check. It is halftime. We are in silly season boys. So for this halftime, we are going to try to fade the noise. So here is the halftime question. Just for a quick reminder for our listeners, halftime is a segment where I ask our panelists a question and they respond with an argument based answer. And I very arbitrarily decide who I think had the best argument. All right. So here's the question. Who is a player that you know will get hype in off-season workouts that you will be intentionally ignoring? I.e., what summer workout warrior will you be fading the noise on? And John, it's good to be back. You're back, so you get to go first. Wow, thank you. Uh, Well, I I got back uh, four hours ago. I drove from Lubbock to the Austin area today, and the first thing I did was I laid down in my bed, 
and I turn on the NFL Network, and what do I see is I see them talking about who's a guy that's going to surprise you this year. And one of the analysts said, A.J. Green. I am not mm-hmm. buying that hype. He's on a new team. He's going to the Cardinals. Oh, it's an exciting new offense. No, I'm not buying any of that. What is this, the last two seasons? Uh, Joe Burrow basically said, if you don't uh, keep A.J. Green, then don't even bother drafting me. It's it's all been hype the last few seasons. He's been injured. Uh, A.J. Green is entirely irrelevant to me, and I fully expect the Cardinals to hype him up even more than they already have. Um, uh, but I don't expect anything from A.J. Green this year, so don't believe the hype on that one. Okay, uh, Trey. Go for it. All right. So maybe this is a little bit unfair, but I'm going after uh, a rookie here. I'm going after uh, Kadarius Tony. Mm-hmm. He's uh, currently DLF ADP, uh, wide receiver 58, but he's uh, he's a lot lower in my ranks. And uh, the reason is is because he was a first-round pick for the New York Giants, and every year the, the NFL media has got to get excited about what's going on in New York. Uh, I think he's going to show out in practice without pads on. I think he's going to look explosive in practice. You're going to hear a lot of glowing reports about how great he looks, uh, how fast he is. Uh, but don't believe it, right? It's not real. Uh, don't let somebody talk you into you know second-guessing everything that we knew back during the rookie uh, evaluation period. And you know, you're going to hear people trying to get like first-round picks for him and, and don't buy into it. He never cleared... 24% dominator in college, and he was a fourth-year breakout. And I don't trust Jason Garrett at all to get the max value out of him. I think my bold stance on Kadarius Tony is less than 100 fantasy points in 2021. He's He's got Lucky Whitehead written all over him in that Garrett offense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I was not expecting you to bring up the Lucky Whitehead shit. Oh, that's great. All right, Mitch. <laughs> Your your go, man. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick somebody real that uh, has had some real, real, real hype, and that's Cam Akers. Like this dude has been getting insane hype. This guy was uh, ADP of forty seven point seven five December twenty twenty. Currently, oh boy, currently going twelve point eight three. And he was as high as 8.83 uh, last month. So I'm, I'm just curious what the fuck happened in uh, December 2020 that just like changed the collective minds here. Because this must be some offseason hype here. Like they didn't add anybody. Sure. But like we're also talking about a guy that uh, had three good fantasy games from week 12 to week 14 last week and was banged up and not used from week 1 and 11 to week 15 to week 17. Like, yeah, he's 21 on a good offense, but that good offense has also shown, like, like uh, multiple running backs in that system. And it just seems like this huge leap of faith, again, from 47 to 8, where, like, the offseason hype, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know what changed. And I, like, I have him at running back 13, I don't have him like succeeding like the way that we're expecting him to. Okay, Mitch, I like how you started that. Um, I think Cam Akers is going too high, and I definitely think that three-game stretch in December 2020 really overvalued his ADP. I like how you highlighted like we're really just basing it on three games. He also did play really well in the playoffs, though, I will say. And, John, I like your call of A.J. Green, but you didn't really give – 
any substantive reasons like for why other than like it's just AJ Green. In, in my defense, know? I was in the car for like ten hours today. <laughs> okay. And all he could think I of mean, was AJ Green. Look, <laughs> when Trey said Kadarius Tony, I almost immediately disqualified him because he's actually a guy that's been getting pretty bad reports out of training camp because he's already but, been injured and all that shit. But 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 yeah. Mitch yeah, Mitch heard Mitch heard the butt coming. Uh, I mean Honestly, there's still training camp to go, and this is about projecting the hype that's going to come forward. Mm -hmm. And I think there's still plenty of time where Kadarius Toney will look explosive in practice. He'll run really fast, and then his value is going to tick up a little bit from those reports. And then he brought it home with that fucking lucky whitehead thing. That was nice. Oh, that that killed me. So I I got to give it to Trey. Thanks, man. Look, I'm just saying there's there's the East Coast bias here, which I participate in every day of my life. And uh, I'm just expecting they're going to hype up uh, Tony before the season starts. And uh, don't buy it, guys. Let's just say that this is an anti-Kadarius Tony pod, just in general. Yeah. I think that's safe. I'm sure he's and a great person. Look, <laughs> everything's going back to normal. John's back on the pod. Trey's winning <laughs> halftime segments. You know, this Mitch is, just is how pissed it, about how it. it yeah, this it's, is good. It's working out like this it's, is it's, the natural order. We have our zen. <laughs> Nature is healing. <laughs> Mitch, you you've been performing really well in halftime recently, though. Go so, fuck you know. yourself, yeah. dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best way to increase your halftime score, right there. Yeah, <laughs> Mister Congeniality, Mitch. Each each, each halftime segment. Oh, I love it. All right, guys, let's kick off this second half where we are going to be talking about the Tennessee Titans and the Indianapolis Colts. I'm sorry, that is Mitch Yates's Tennessee Titans. Yeats, yeats. So quarterback. Ryan Tannehill comes in as our consensus QB 12 top five in pretty much every efficiency metric over the last two years, whether that's adjusted net yards per attempt yards per pass completion, passer rating, pass TD percentage, just so efficient. I mean, whatever like combination of letters that spell out an advanced stat, like Ryan Tannehill has been smashing that for the last two years. So, Here's the question. I mean, it's an obvious question. Is that due to regress or is he just going to be that efficient moving forward on this offense? And, you know, maybe he won't be quite as efficient, but maybe we'll see more volume. What What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. I do think he's due for some regression. I don't know that we could uh, drop him down, uh, you know, to league average, but I think he's certainly going to come down a little bit uh, from, you know, the stratospheric levels he's been operating in the last two years. Uh JJ Zacharyson had a really cool uh, Twitter post uh, earlier this week where he was just showing overall offensive uh, touchdown numbers and uh, how they tend to regress over time. And basically just looking at that data, I think it's fair to think the whole offense in terms of touchdowns should probably regress about 10 to 20%. So that takes the Titans down from 3.7 touchdowns a game down to about three, which of course is going to knock Tannehill down a few slots. So he falls into the QB2 range uh, for my projections, uh, just baking in some of that natural uh, regression. Um, yeah, I I do think that Tannehill could be a, a quarterback one. He's already shown it. And I do think that he could be a quarterback one over the next couple of years. And one of the things that we were discussing in our group chat was how I had Ryan Tannehill ranked above Trevor Lawrence in my dynasty rankings. And yes, I did adjust that. Um, I do believe Trevor Lawrence is ahead of that. But the case that I wanted to make for Ryan Tannehill is that, and Tarek, you can't agree with me here, 
I could see him being like a top six quarterback next year in in twenty twenty one. Right? Yeah, I think he has top five upside in 2021 for sure and so i would like to quote trey on his earlier um evaluation of trevor lawrence he said he could see him as a quarterback two right off the rip maybe a quarterback one the next year and so i'd like to bring that up as a a very important point here is that Tannehill, if you're competing this year and you believe he could be as good as a quarterback six and you're and the expectation is that uh um, Trevor Lawrence is going to be about quarterback 13, 14, 15, something like that. Like there is more value in Tannehill this year. If you are a competitor, Mitch, let me just throw out one thing real quick. Uh, so, I mean, the thing with Tannehill is that he has to keep up this, uh, crazy efficiency or the Titans have to increase their passing volume for him to hit that level again. Yes. He did finish as the quarterback seven last year, but he also played, uh, the full 16 game season. So uh, last season, the Titans were essentially tied in third with the least number of passing plays run uh, in the entire NFL. Uh, the Ravens were the least followed by the Patriots. And there's essentially a three-way tie between the Jets, the Browns and the Titans. So with, and we're with, saying he was quarterback seven and now he has Julio Jones though. Like you can't tell me that that's not looking up. Right, but he either has to stay just as efficient, which is statistically unlikely, unlikely, or the passing game has to pick up the volume, which is possible because Arthur Smith is left, but we just don't know if that's going to be the case or not until we see it on the field. Uh, my only concern is that he only had 481 attempts overall last year. That's, that's pretty low. I mean, uh, in terms of uh, people you think of in terms of like uh, throwing quarterbacks, he's... He's on the low end. Um, if he's my quarterback two in Superflex, I'm ecstatic. If he's my quarterback one in one QB, I'm a little nervous. So what if I he's think, your quarterback two in one QB? Uh, then I guess I'm really happy for that one week that I guess I'm going to have to play him. <laughs> uh, he's not a guy I'm targeting in one QB, but it, he's probably a guy I'm targeting in uh, two QB Superflex if, uh, if I'm a contender, definitely. Let's... Move on to the running backs. Uh, King Henry, Derrick Henry is running back eight in our consensus. He's number four for Mitch, nine for John and myself, and 11 for Trey. So we're kind of spread out a little bit here. He's 27 years old, coming off 718 touches over the last two years. Mitch, I got to throw it back to you because you're the extra high guy. Tell us why he's Dynasty RB4 for you. I'm going to make this as short and sweet, sweet for you guys as I possibly can. I think we need to focus on where he's being evaluated right now. So um, he's number four for me because he can win a league for you right now. Um, he, he can go nu- nuclear. There's no doubt that he's the guy in Tennessee. He's the focal point of that offense. That offense is better. There's going to be less guys in the box. We've heard all of this stuff, though. So, like, turning 27 and, like, if you're trying to win a dynasty championship in the next two years, then I say Derrick Henry is your guy. But if your window isn't in that frame, then yeah, there are people that have much obvious value higher than him. So like, it's very difficult to make this, this ranking this high with, with understanding that like other people's value are not as high. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think what it really comes down to is the fact that he's just not much of a factor in the, uh, in the passing game. Uh, so if you look at guys like Antonio Gibson or guys like uh, 
you know, Dalvin Cook, they're just going to get, uh, they're just going to soak up the the targets in the in the passing game, and and they just have an easier path to that high end, like top end running back one production. Whereas Derrick Henry has to get all of his work done on the ground, and he's twenty seven years old, and he's, um, you know, what are we going to factor in for the amount of time left in the league uh, for Henry? Like maybe two, three years max. So, um, I would I would rather go after some of the guys with more upside. Uh, that could probably fall in roughly the same range uh, for points production um, that are significantly younger, uh, you know, four or five years younger than Henry, just because they'll provide value to my roster for a longer time period. Uh, I would just say that even if I was a contender, I would be looking to move Derrick Henry right now because I think right now is his peak value. I actually agree with Mitch that uh, Derrick Henry has been undervalued in the past, uh, but at running back nine in dynasty. I think that's accurate. And I don't think that has anywhere to go, but down. Uh, so even if I'm a contender, if we're talking about sustainability, I'm trying to move him for, uh, maybe an RB two plus, or if I can get an RB one straight up, maybe an Antonio Gibson straight up, I would take it. Okay. So moving on from, uh, Derek Henry, the other running back, uh, in that room is the third round pick from 2019 Darrington Evans, who got very little work last year. He did at the end of the regular season, come in and fill in pretty admirably for arresting Derek Henry. Um, this is a guy that obviously you can get very easily as a throw in at the end of a trade. Um, he's probably rostered in your league, but I think he's very attainable. So, uh, Trey, um, is Darrington Evans someone you're interested yeah, in? Yeah, definitely. I think he's a priority stash uh, for basically all formats. Uh, like you said, he's a third rounder uh, coming out of school. He had 80th percentile speed and burst scores, and he's basically free. His DLF ADP is running back 59 right now. So uh, with Derrick Henry, 27 years old now, I think it's a great idea to have a third round uh, running back Uh, on your bench as a cuff. Okay, moving on to the wide receivers. A.J. Brown is tied with Justin Jefferson as wide receiver one in our consensus. And Julio Jones, the new Tennessee Titan, is down at wide receiver 33. So clearly we as a group are not super concerned about the arrival of Julio affecting A.J. Brown's overall dynasty value. But does it temper our expectations for his ultimate ceiling that we may have expected before Julio Jones arrived? Oh, no, I don't have any concerns about A.J. Brown. My only concerns are about uh, Julio Jones. I just don't see it. Like, I think A.J. Brown is the alpha. And uh, Julio Jones is going from Matt Ryan, who threw the ball 626 times last season, to uh, Ryan Tannehill, who threw it 481 times. So... I, I am very confident that A.J. Brown is the alpha. He's still my uh, wide receiver, too. And I don't see much of an improvement for Julio Jones. I actually think this is a bit of a downgrade for Julio Jones long term, or at least this season, because I think A.J. Brown's a much better wide receiver than Calvin Ridley. Am I wrong there? You're not wrong there, but I, I'm going to say no freaking way on this being a downgrade from the the Falcons offense, man. Like... With A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, like Julio Jones is just another cog in that machine, and all three of these guys are going to get a lot of looks, I'm going to say. And as long as Julio Jones is healthy, this is an upgrade. Like, sure, if he gets injured or his hammies 
like act up again, yeah, that's going to be a problem. But if all of these players I just mentioned are healthy, like who knows how you're going to guard this offense. And I think that's, that that's something that the Falcons didn't have to offer. They didn't have that run game to offer. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm on the same side as uh, Mitch on this one. Uh, Tarek, we talked about this last week where Julio Jones and AJ Brown combined could uh, command 50% target share, which sounded crazy at the time, but it's probably true. Uh, so it's very likely there's two uh, fantasy wide receiver ones on this team in this offense. And uh, yeah, I think AJ Brown uh, does have a ceiling cut a little bit for this year. He's probably more of a mid to low end wide receiver one in 2021, as opposed to the high end wide receiver one that he could have been without Julio Jones there. Uh, but both of them, I think, uh, have the possibility to put together top 12 seasons this year. Okay. And uh, Trey, Josh Reynolds was someone that had a path to some Corey Davis volume before Julio Jones arrived. Um, but doesn't look like that anymore. Trey, you do still have him at wide receiver 79, which is not that high, but higher than the rest of us. So is he still rosterable for you? Uh, I I don't have a lot of faith in Josh Reynolds now that Julio Jones is there. Um, you know, I didn't really like him much uh, before that, but he was def- you know projected to get some volume. Uh, now that's not the case. So I'd say go ahead and drop him and get somebody with uh, more upside instead. So Mitch, I'm just going to ask you about Des Fitzpatrick and Racy McMath. Well, that's that's great. Um, real quick, um, I I, I want to send Josh Reynolds to the Sun. Um, but those those two, um, yeah, I, I guess they can uh, see if they can book some flights with them because for the next couple of years, these these guys are stowaways. Man, keep an eye on them, sure, but don't waste your taxi spots. Okay, so at tight end, Anthony, I barely even know her. Ferkser is tight end twenty five in our consensus, but. Mitch, you have him at tight end 15. So I, I kind of have to keep coming back know, to you first. <laughs> um, so explain your thinking here because, you know, you're higher than consensus on all of these guys. So, like, you're very high on this Titans offense. So, well, as we've all conceded with tight ends, like, this is that mm-hmm. range of tight end that just by virtue of his offense and his situation, especially with him being in that like th- three, four year breakout time. Like he has that potential to be in that like top 15 tight end range. I'm not I'm not going to say like, yeah, I can see the future and I expect him to be there, but I could definitely see him landing there just with all of these things in his favor. It's really tough predicting like a tight end here. And I'm saying like, I'm not giving up on him yet. I'm not giving up on him yet. I've seen I like what I see what I've seen on tape and they haven't gotten anybody else to compete with them yet. So this is a tough division for tight ends, and uh, Anthony Ferkser should be the highest-rated uh, tight end in this division. I, I've got him closer to like a low-end uh, tight end two for this year, but this is an offense that targeted the tight end position quite a bit last year. Uh, you know, on a per-target basis. So, um, yeah, I think Mitch is right that he does have an opportunity to blossom into something more, uh, but we should probably expect that ceiling to be a little bit lower with the uh, the Julio Jones signing. All right, let's move on to the Indianapolis Colts. At quarterback, Carson Wentz is our QB 20 in consensus. He has struggled since he hurt his knee in 2017. Mitch, Trey, and myself have him at quarterback 22, and John's got him at QB 16. So, John, are you still a believer in Carson Wentz, the quarterback, or is this a function of his improved situation in Indianapolis? I I think it's pretty simple. The best season he ever had was uh, with Frank Wright. And that's who brought him in. 
to Indianapolis. He's going to have some good weapons around him. And he's got a lot of potential to back, bounce back here. Uh, they made a significant investment to get him. Um, and I just think that he's got the potential to be a solid QB2 this season. And if Frank, the real, the only question here is, can he be fixed? And if he can be fixed, I think he's got the right head coach to do it. And if that's the case, then I think he's a solid QB too. That's why I've got him ranked at 16. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the opposite of John here. Uh, I think he's he's a strong sell. Uh, I'm definitely not sold on Wentz after what we saw uh, last year in Philadelphia where he was getting sacked every other uh, drop back. So I think the focus in Indianapolis is going to be to take the pressure off of him, uh, you know, really focus on running ball with JT and uh, that stable of awesome running backs that they have. And if you can turn around and flip Wentz right now for a guy like Zach Wilson or Mac Jones, like one of these rookies, I would definitely try to do that. Yeah, and I'm going to land right between you guys because, John, I do see the value in Carson Wentz and that offense. And I, I really think that, like, if he could stay healthy, then he would actually be, like, a viable super flex quarterback. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like, when I when I throw the if he can stay healthy caveat into there, like, I'm already, I'm already kind of looking for the door here. And if there's anything Wentz doesn't like to do it's it's play it safe and so like for that reason i am oot jacob eason and sam ellinger are also there i guess those could be possible super flex stashes but um also wouldn't blame you if you drop them onto the waiver wire at running back jonathan taylor is our running back too i am the quote unquote low man on him at running back three. The rest of you have him at running back two. He caught 36 of 39 passes last year, which I think answers one of the questions we had going in to his rookie year. He can certainly do enough in the passing game to support his elite rushing floor, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, he 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 can catch the ball, yes. Uh, and I think he could be a nice little safety blanket, blanket for uh, Carson Wentz, but I don't think that's necessarily how he's going to be used this year. I think we're going to see a similar situation that we saw last year where they run the ball with Jonathan Taylor and then drop the ball uh, off in third down situations to Naheem Hines. I expect Jonathan Taylor to have uh, pretty similar uh, statistics as he had last year. Uh, He's going to run the ball. He's going to get the touchdowns. He's going to break a few. He's going to have the long runs. And that's why he's my running back too. It's just consistency. He's behind a great uh, offensive line. Uh, the problem with Jonathan Taylor is he's completely unattainable right now. I would not say go buy Jonathan Taylor because I think you're sacrificing too much. The price for him is too high. If you have him, great. You did it right. You drafted him over CEH. Good well, job. Hold on. If, if you have him and the price is too high, aren't you selling him for that super high price? No, because I'm going to have him again. Hey, I'm going to have him for the rest of his rookie contract, and he's going to win me a championship. I'm not selling him. I'm trying to win championships, Mitch. I'm not trying to. Uh, I'm not trying to win trades here. He's just a, a prototypical hold because he's not only a top five running back in terms of dynasty value, but he's also only 22 years old. So he's a guy that you can hold. You can profit off of that rookie contract. You can profit off of that three, four, five year window that a guy like Jonathan Taylor has. Uh, John mentioned Naheem Hines. He's our RB45. We all have him either 47 or 48 in our rankings. He's got that PPR floor, like John said. Marlon Mack re-signed there coming off the Achilles tear. 
I think he might be the JT handcuff to the point where like we shouldn't overvalue Hines. Like we shouldn't expect if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt that Hines is going to fall into 30 touches per game, right? I don't I don't think that Marlon Mack's going to be be the reason that Hines doesn't fall into that though. Like Marlon Mack has looked really good in the past, but like that Achilles injury plus his anticlimactic signing in the offseason with the Colts again like something signals to me that like this guy might be even drop worthy in dynasty leagues I don't know maybe that's bold I think if he's on the roster week one uh then you know I'm gonna keep holding him until the Colts drop him because uh, I do think that he will uh be that JT uh cuff just because he fills more of that high end uh every down type role than a guy like Hines or Wilkins does in my mind so um, until as long as he's on that Colts roster, I'll keep him on the uh, the very end of my bench. Uh. The thing, Trey and Tarek, I guess, like what I see happening if if the worst happens here and JT goes down, I see like the rotation of like Hines, you know, Wilkins, and uh, uh, what's his nuts, like Marlon I, Mack. Mar- Marlon Mack, yeah. Like I I just see like the only reason I brought that up is like don't overvalue Naheem Hines. Don't think that if Jonathan Taylor goes down, Naheem Hines is going to get 30 touches a game because they'll either work in Marlon Mack or Jordan Wilkins. Yeah, okay, I agree with that. Definitely. All right, so at the wide receiver position, Michael Pittman is wide receiver 44 in our rankings. He flashed some nice yards after catchability last year in the second half of the season. He did really well in the playoff game against Buffalo, 90 yards on 10 targets. I really like Pittman, but I've actually traded him away where I've had him recently because I've actually been able to get pretty good return on a guy who the jury is largely still out on. John, you've got him at wide receiver 39, which is the highest among us. What do you like about Michael Pittman? I I mean, it's pretty simple. When I'm looking at rookies, what I'm looking for is them to peak at the end of the season. And like you just mentioned, that's exactly what Michael Pittman did at the end of the season in the playoffs. That's when he looked his best. And uh, I think that's positive momentum. And I think that's good enough to keep him, uh, for me, at uh, wide receiver 39. Once T.Y. Hilton's out of the picture, I think Michael Pittman's the clear wide receiver one for this team. Mitch, you have him at wide receiver 50, so give us you know, the low take. It's not a huge gap between you and John, but you're yeah, obviously lower. Yeah, it's, and like I don't want to say that, like, hey, what's up? I'm low on Michael Pittman because like I don't really feel like he's a bad player or anything. I just see this this happening so often, right? Like, sure, he's six four. He has the uh, second round draft cap, but like, I just I don't know. Like, he he just hasn't really done shit, and I could see him going to be like a wide receiver four or wide receiver five permanently before you drop him off your roster. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I can't rank everybody high, right? I I haven't seen it on tape, really. Like. I I could be wrong about this and I'd be happy and I'd be okay with it. But like right now I just kind of see him as just a guy. I think that's fair. Okay. So T Y Hilton and Paris Campbell are really close in our consensus rankings. We actually have Hilton a couple spots ahead of Campbell at wide receiver 68 and then Campbell at wide receiver 70. Hilton came back on a one-year deal kind of unexpectedly, and Paris Campbell only played one game last year, but looked like he was on his way to getting lots of volume so Mitch and John have T.Y. ranked a little higher than Paris Campbell, and me and Trey are slightly higher on Paris Campbell than T.Y. Hilton. So let's discuss that. Uh, Trey, let's start with your case for Paris Campbell. 
slightly over T.Y. Hilton. Well, I mean, that basically comes down to age at this point. I think they could very well uh, command similar target share in this uh, offense this year. And obviously one is uh, on the tail end of his career and the others is just beginning. Uh, but um, I'm, I'm sort of fading this whole wide receiver room uh, just because of the situation. Uh, the Colts kind of showed us uh, how they approach the wide receiver position last year when because they only threw it to the receiver position on 51.5% of their passing plays, which um, was the third lowest rate in the league behind only uh, Las Vegas and San Francisco. And um, if you think Carson Wentz is going to come in there and turn that around, his Eagles were uh, were fifth in the league last year, 52.5%. So I just I don't know that there's like enough volume here to really support uh, more than one receiver. And with three guys that all project to be about similar target share, it I think it's fair to fade the whole room. I'm with it, Trey. Yeah, I like that. Uh, John, I, I know you were pretty high on Paris Campbell yep. coming out of college, so I was surprised reviewing our rankings yep. that you had T.Y. Hilton ranked higher. So just talk about that for a little bit. Two sides of the same coin. I've got Pittman higher and Paris Campbell lower because uh, Paris Campbell, I've got a wide receiver 81. I think he's a bust. Uh, he's He's too injury prone. Uh, I think he's dynamic, and if I had if I had the ability to, <clears throat> Parrish Campbell is the one I would have picked for halftime today. He's going to get all the hype in the offseason, like, oh, Parrish Campbell looks so athletic. Oh, Parrish Campbell looks so good, but he doesn't he doesn't see the field enough for me to even consider him as somebody that I think should belong on a roster. I don't think he's going to play. I think he's in, too injury prone, and I I don't want to have anything to do with him. If for all of our listeners. Uh, I would say sell Paris Campbell if you can get him off your roster because his peak value was in the rookie draft. And yeah. that's very sad for me to say that, um, but it's only going down and you should get him off. your yeah, roster. Agreed. It's time to cash out. Yeah. And you can, you can still get something for Paris Campbell for sure. Um, let's close out with uh, another horrible tight end room. <laughs> Um, Mo Ali Cox is big. Jack Doyle is bad. And Kylan Granson, maybe, I don't know. I, Kylan Granson is a fourth round pick out of SMU where he had some decent production. Hey, pony up. Actually a really elite breakout age, despite being a redshirt senior. Good enough dominator rating, good athleticism, getting lots of that training camp hype. But as we talked about in halftime, we've, we've got to be skeptical of that. So um, I like Kylan Granson as a, uh, as a stash. I think um, you didn't mention he's a Westlake high school guy. So he's another Austin dude too. Hey, but yeah, he's got a, he's got nice upside with that athleticism. He's got that above the 90th percentile on his uh, 40 time at 240 pounds on his vert and his three cone. And uh, he's only six foot one, so he's a little bit undersized, but he's probably not going to be doing much blocking at six foot one. So they probably brought him in as a pass catcher. And uh, this offense does target the, the tight end quite a bit. We know Carson Wentz likes throwing to the tight end. So I think it's fair to say that Big Mac could be the the lead in that tight end room this year. And Kyle <laughs> Granson. Yeah, yeah. Cox. Uh, you like that nickname? I like it. Yeah, I think he could be. I think he could be the number one tight end uh, this year, and uh, Kylan Granson could be the number one next year. Uh, well, so there's definitely some stash upside there. Yeah, I will say I was kind of late to the party on Kylan Granson as far as just like knowing about him, and by the time I'd kind of been like, okay, I want to go see if I can pick up Kylan Granson in my leagues, he was already scooped up. So um, I think that this is a guy I was personally late on, and I wish that I would have gotten him on my roster. But I think if he's still out there on your waiver wire, you should put him on your 
bench or on your taxi squad. Let me give Big Mac a little bit of love just real quick, Mitch. Uh, he's super low risk, high reward. He was number four last year in yards per route run, and he was number six in fantasy points per target. So he definitely has some efficiency metrics to where if he was given a bigger role, he could have a breakout type performance. He's very big. Mitch, what you got? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was just going to say it's all bad. Um, no, I, I think that the the tight end that you want here, uh, tight end number six, as John would say, is uh, still not on this roster. Stay tuned. I, I agree with that. The three, I hate to bring it up again, but the three teams that Zach Ertz has been linked to are the Bills, the Jaguars, and Indy. And if Zach Ertz ends up with Indy... Ertz just makes the most sense, right? Like, Yeah. Yeah, he does. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for episode 11 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. Next week, we are moving on to the West. So we will be talking about the very exciting division of the NFC West. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Adios. Goodbye. Go Titans.